My dear friends in Christ, I welcome you to this Church of St. Paul the Apostle. In a special way, I welcome the parents, family members, and friends of the men to be ordained, as well as those who have guided them through their seminary formation, to bring them to this day when they will enter the clerical state as ordained deacons. Tyler, Jason, Michael, and David, I know how momentous this day is in your lives, and we give thanks to God for you and for your self-offering. In my life as a bishop, today is also special, as your ordinations will be my first. In a few moments, Father Hahn, well, actually just a few moments ago, Father Hahn asked, most Reverend Father, Holy Mother Church asks you to ordain these men, our brothers, to the responsibility of the diaconate. To which I asked in response, do you know them to be worthy? And he answered, having consulted with the people of God and testifying on their behalf, in the affirmative, when these men are chosen, that is, elected, everyone here said, Thanks be to God. This ancient ritual reflects the practice going back to apostolic times when the apostles searched for men of good repute filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit to serve as deacons. It was on those seven original men that the apostles laid hands. Now, as these men journey toward the priesthood, they must have the confidence of the people. As a church that walks together, as Pope Francis says, they have both candidate and people embarked on the same journey toward heaven. They are on the same ship, share the same risk and the same security. The people themselves must feel that their highest interest, their salvation, is in hands they can trust. The deacon and the priest must have the respect of the people. In days gone by, at weddings, Anglican weddings, ministers used to say, if anyone has any objection, speak now or forever hold your peace. What if we were to ask, if anyone has anything against this candidate, let him come forward in the presence of God and say it. Perhaps if that were the case, our candidates might fear the verdict. No one of us is perfect, but we must have the respect of the people. Virtue is one thing, reputation is another. In our second reading, we heard the words of Paul to Timothy, deacons must be dignified, not deceitful, not addicted to drink, not greedy for sordid gain, holding fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Moreover, they should be tested first. Then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Your seminary formators, the people of God in the Diocese of Columbus, have tested you, and God be praised. You have passed, which brings you here. They testify that they can trust you, and in the future will entrust themselves to you. My brothers, the church today needs men of integrity, men to whom the people can entrust their consciences. Be those men, be men of virtue and good reputation. 
If for some reason someone should slander you, it occasionally happens to priests, know that in this you share in the Master's cross. But be aware of who you are, fragile servants, called and chosen for greatness. In the homily for ordination provided in the ritual book itself, the faithful are invited to carefully consider the nature of the ministerial rank to which they, our brothers, shall be raised. Before the reforms of the council, the words were addressed to the candidates, and instead of ministerial rank, the words were exalted rank. It is an exalted rank to be a deacon, strengthened by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It will help the bishop and his priests in the ministries of the word, the altar, and of charity, showing themselves to be the servants of all. As ministers of the altar, they will proclaim the gospel, prepare the sacrifice, and distribute the body and blood of the Lord. Through the ministry at the altar, they will also be preparing to be the ones who in union with Christ, the high priest, will one day offer the sacrifice. As ministers of the word, they will exhort believers and unbelievers alike and instruct them in holy doctrine, presiding over public prayer, including the liturgy of the hours. They will administer baptism, assist at marriages, bring viaticum to the dying, and conduct funerals. As ministers of the word, dear brothers, you must be like Stephen, the proto-martyr, who bore witness to the Lord's death and resurrection in his charismatic preaching, in his forgiveness of his enemies, and in his hope of heaven. As a herald of the gospel, you must be like Philip the deacon, of whom we heard in our first reading from Acts. The church was persecuted and scattered, yet the word went forth in the power of the Spirit. Philip first went to Samaria and brought joy to the people there, bringing healing and casting out the evil one. They were attentive to the word of life that he offered, and they watched his gestures. Next, the Spirit of God led him into the desert, where he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, reading the book of the prophet Isaiah, who inquired whether this pointed to the writer, to the prophet, or to someone else. Philip the deacon pointed him to Jesus. He brought him to faith in Jesus and led him to the waters of life. And then Philip went on to proclaim the good news elsewhere and bring joy to other people. Despite opposition and persecution, the word of God went forth. Even today, the word of God must go forth, for it brings life. And we are in a battle between the culture of death and the culture of life. The proclamation went forth and was successful ultimately because it was a spirit-driven proclamation. In a prayer of consecration in the rite of ordination, there are some words that are in all caps in the ritual book, which is sort of like shouting them. These are the words that Pope Pius XII declared to be the essential formula. Send forth the Holy Spirit upon them, O Lord, we pray, that they may be strengthened by the gift of your sevenfold grace to carry out faithfully the work of ministry. A spirit-driven event. The bishop's imposition of hands along with these essential words produce a new infusion of the Holy Spirit into the souls of those to be ordained. 
The Holy Spirit, if you will, takes possession of your lives. You are dedicated to God, given a power to serve as a deacon. You are given strength to resist the devil and are given the sevenfold grace to carry out faithfully the, the work of ministry, even in times of suffering and persecution. Amongst the gifts you will be given is the gift of fortitude, to be strong in the ministry. During Easter, we remember the transformative power of the Spirit in the lives of the apostles and in the men chosen as deacons. From cowards who fled in fear, they were transformed by the Spirit after Pentecost into bold witnesses. They were an unstoppable force for goodness, for truth, and for life. Consecrated by the laying on of hands, passed down from the apostles, and bound more closely to the service of the altar, these four men will carry out a ministry of charity in the name of the bishop. In all these duties, let them act with the help of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you, the people of God, recognize them as disciples of him who did not come to be served, but to serve. Yes, this is an exalted ministry, inasmuch as the ministry is a ministry of service. When we carry out the ministry of the word, it is not ourselves that we proclaim, but Jesus Christ and him crucified, who rose from the dead, the word of life. In the ministry of the altar, we do not draw attention to ourselves, but to him who lies upon the altar. To paraphrase St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the greatness of our ministry consists in serving for the sake of Jesus. Serving for the sake of Jesus. This is true greatness. Moreover, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. The apostles vied at one point for first place. John and James wanted to sit one at his right, one at his left. But the Lord reminded them, you know how it is among the Gentiles who claim to bear authority and lord it over others, and those who are great among them make the most of their power? But with you it must be otherwise. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the last and slave of all. Furthermore, Jesus gave his disciples an example of this humble service to which you men will be called when at the Last Supper, he who was master and teacher washed the feet of the twelve, even the feet of Judas, whom he knew would betray him. In this he endowed the service of the apostolate for all time with a divine nobility. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the laying on of hands, you will be made servants, not only of God, but of your brothers and sisters. Today, as you enter the clerical state, God is beginning something new in each of you. But at the end of your days upon this earth, we hope that Christ says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Today, you will be vested in the dalmatic. Some of you may notice that as the bishop, even I wear the dalmatic. The dalmatic is a symbol of service. 
Thus, when the bishop performs the mandatum on Holy Thursday, he removes the chasuble, but not as dogmatic. He is always Christ the servant. And just as with other liturgical vestments, there is a prayer that accompanies vesting in the dogmatic. Indue me domine indumento salutis et vestimento laetitiae, et dalmatica justitiae circunda me semper. Clothe me, O Lord, with the garment of salvation and the vestment of gladness, and encompass me always with the dalmatic of justice. This prayer makes clear allusion to a passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Using nuptial imagery to describe the new life of the restored Jerusalem, the prophet writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The dogmatic should remind you of a new life and renewal and should be a reminder of the love which the Lord Jesus has for each of you. He has clothed you with the garments of salvation. He has covered you with the robe of righteousness or justice. Still, as disciples and ministers, you are called to go beyond justice to true charity. At the Last Supper, Jesus gave us both the sacrament of charity and an example of charity. Beloved sons, you are to be raised to the order of deacons. The Lord himself has given you an example. The justice he himself has done, so also you should do. In the old rite of ordination, the bishop specifically addressed the candidates, saying, Consider well to what high rank in the church you are ascending, for the deacon must serve. It is a high rank, a high task, to be of lowly and humble service. If you want to ascend, then the only way is to make yourself low. And if you want to climb, then I suggest that the only thing you climb is the wood of the cross. And so as deacons, that is, as ministers of Jesus Christ, who appeared in the midst of the disciples as one who serves, do the will of God in charity from the heart. Serve others with joy as you would serve the Lord, since in fact, no one can serve two masters. Look upon all impurity and greed as serving false gods. Just as in baptism, there is a threefold renunciation of Satan and a threefold profession in the triune God, so in the rite of ordination, you also must give your consent. You must hand yourself over, make a commitment, be dedicated to God and his church. Your will and no one else's is required, your offering. Since you present yourselves for the order of the diaconate of your own free choice, you must be like those once chosen apostles for the ministry of charity, men of good reputation, full of wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. You will exercise your ministry in the celibate state. Celibacy is both a sign of pastoral charity and an incentive to it, as well as a source of spiritual fruitfulness in the world. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies or remains just a grain of wheat, 
But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. For urged on by a sincere love of Christ the Lord and living in this state with total dedication, you will cling more readily to Christ with an undivided heart. You will devote yourselves with greater freedom to the service of God and others. And you will serve single-mindedly the work of spiritual rebirth. Firmly planted and grounded in faith, show yourselves without blemish and beyond reproach before God and others, as is proper for the ministers of Christ and the stewards of God's mysteries. Do not allow yourselves to be turned away from the hope of the gospel, which you must not only hear, but also serve. Hold fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and express by your actions the word of God which your lips proclaim so that the Christian people brought to life by the Spirit may become a pure offering accepted by God. And so that you yourselves, when you go out to meet the Lord on the last day, may be able to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord.